Welcome again to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm here with Peter and we have a guest today, Kelly Barling, who is also on the staff at the Institute and we're glad she's joining us. Today we're going to continue to talk about issues around the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, particularly this week we want to talk about uh, first responders, medical professionals, law enforcement, uh, the, the people that are really putting themselves on the front lines in this pandemic and putting themselves at risk and uh, we know that the physical risk of contracting the virus is there but we want to talk today also about some other risks uh, emotional or personal that will arise for them out of their service to us at this really important time. Mm -hmm. So hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein and Kelly Barling. Today we'll continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Hi, this is Kelly Harley, and she's our guest today. Um, this is an interesting day because we have had an awful lot of um, thoughts and um, issues that we've seen come up in the last week, um, considering what's going on with the uh, COVID-19 viruses, as well as other things that we've seen too, um, that we've talked about quite a bit and alluded to in many other episodes. Um, and yet what we're seeing now is, uh, it strikes us, you know, it touches our hearts. It also gets us to be more thoughtful about things that we really do have answers for and other things that we don't quite have the answers for. But we see the issues, and their issues are significant, that we can see. But we don't always, I don't want to come out today and say I have all the answers for all of these things that are going to come up. I don't. But I think that over almost 50 years experience uh, in helping people for, with trauma recovery, I know a few things. I also know that um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're really in this the right way as a calling, um, it's an extraordinary reality. It's different. It's not the, the reality that most people will live or choose to live. But also, it's, it's, it forces you either to grow or to burn out or it can kill you. I mean, it's, it's a very tough kind of challenging um, work and profession. We call, it has to be almost like a calling on your life. Um, in the sense of, these, the, it's going to involve a lot of pain. It's going to involve traumas that most people don't even want to look at, don't even want to consider, and have done so many different things, our whole society, to distract themselves from these kinds of realities. Um, and now things are changing, because we're talking about an extraordinary reality that first responders, caregivers, um, folks like us who are, are have been on the front lines of helping folks for a long time. Uh, we've chosen that, but now it's different because everyone all over the world is being confronted with an extraordinary reality, a frightening reality, um, no question about it. And uh, 
when I think about that and I think about what we go through and, the, and what I see other folks go through, we know how demanding it is and challenging and agonizing the process can be to come to a deeper understanding, a better truth of yourself and so you can be a better caregiver of one kind or another. But not just being a caregiver, but it, it forces us to grow and to discover our deeper, our deeper sense of purpose and truth in our lives. We are committed to that. Um, and we've, we've been committed to training and helping others in this, in this work for a long time. So now we see it, we see lots of people that are being challenged and confronted with some very real agonizing and painful realities. They've lost their jobs, enormous. They expect the unemployment rate to be near 20%. That's the, that's close to the depress. That's the depression. The statistics are very yeah, similar. they're very high, and a lot of businesses that have had them shut down because of the virus. Well, from what I hear, a lot of them are not going to open anymore. They're even when it's they're allowed to open, they're not going to. They just don't have the financial wherewithal to do it anymore. And more and more, of these companies aren't going to. They're they're shut down. They're done. They won't be coming back. Yeah, they won't be. So it's taken a great toll. And for so many folks that depend on this for their income, and this is a hard hit. On top of the fear of coming down, which is a deadly virus. Um, when I say deadly, the truth of the matter is, it's not deadly for everybody. But we know that it's, it's bad enough. And I've read about the from folks reporting on what they've been through, and it's a very difficult recuperation. Um, it really knocks people down hard. And for some, it's terrifying because they have to wind up being in an induced coma. Um, they're on ventilators. It's a, it's a terrifying experience. There's no question about it. But what we've seen is, because it's on such a massive level, where we've had to, and we accept it, this part of our calling in our life, is that we're going to have to deal with ourselves. And we're going to have to look at ourselves. Sometimes it's, very, it's not too pleasant. It's painful because we're going to come up against situations no matter how much we know, no matter how good our intentions are, we can't turn around certain real-life situations. We can help people who are sick and are dying. We can help them feel loved and comforted as they're moving toward death, and we do that. But we know we can't stop it. And it's a, it's, it's a tough one because many times we feel helpless. Um, we face other situations where we don't always have the answers. But what we do is we hang in there as much as it puts us through because we know we're there for a bigger purpose and a bigger calling. And that's to give these people love and support and comfort and security during some very tough times. Um, so that's, you know, that's what we do. Well, now you're hearing about all the frontline medical workers and the f firefighters, the first responders, the paramedics, the nurses, the doctors. The counselors, you're hearing about all these people and what they're facing and what courage it has to take for them to put themselves in harm's way with this virus. And as we you all read in the headlines, that a number of them do come down with the virus and some don't make it. But yet they are there to help others and they're there to do the best job they can with this very frightening situation. It can be overwhelming. So first of all, we want to take our hats off to them. Yes. They are heroes. And there's no question about it because they've they've had the courage to overcome their fears, and um, I know I have some friends that are on those front lines right now medically, and they're pretty folks I know they're pretty tough people they they really do a good job, 
But I hear the effects afterwards, and I know them personally, and I see the stress and the impact of the stress that they're working under. And it's a whole lot more than they would like, at least my friends would like to even admit, but uh, it's plenty. So we want to talk about that today, and I think it's very important. But there's other things to look at too. We, I want to have some continuity from our last episode, because I feel that we've been dealing with something, for, we've been dealing with it a long time, but there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago by... Uh, Kevin Rowe. Stabin Rowe. Cabin. Cat. What is it? Cabin, like Kevin, only Cabin. Cabin Rowe. Okay. And the title is Dying Gives Us a Chance to Confront Truth. Okay. And you know, he really, I mean, he's a, a theological professor at Duke University, and yet there's something about this article that's way more down to earth than a professor standing in front of a class reading, you know, reading out of the books or, or something. And the reason is he's, He's dealing with his dying wife, and he's taking care of her. So he has a deeper personal understanding of what people go through um, in, in being caregivers for loved ones. I think he's taken a, he's also a Christian, um, and he has a, a pretty broad historical view of the Christian world over many years, hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, yeah. he came up with something that I thought was... Uh, a great concept. He didn't come up with it, but it had certainly been written about. And it was it came out of the Middle Ages. The Christians came up with um, principles to uh, to use in order to help with the dying. It was a a, a way of approaching um, the fact that we will all come to the end of our lives, mm-hmm. and what would be the best way to go through this time. Um, sometimes people say, they still say, I just want to, I don't want to feel anything, maybe I'll just pass away in my sleep and I won't have to suffer or experience anything like which that. Which I could sure understand. Yeah. Which we can understand. Um, mm. But the Ars Moriendi, Ars Moriendi, that practice actually points out some of the things that are of value and important that we lose by not having a chance well, to learn the, and prepare. The translation is the art of dying. The art of dying. And, you know, in this day and age, a, a, a quick death is what people, what you're alluding to, or a painless one. And I certainly can understand. <laughs> We've seen the other. So you can realize why people think that way. But this principle, these principles take a, a completely different view of it. And they look at dying over a long period of time and how much you could learn about the death and dying process, the person going through it, and also the caregivers. It's a, a, a really beautiful um, set of principles, very touching. But I know what it is, because I've helped people, I'm going through it, um, and I know what the, it, the changes it puts caregivers through and people that are going through it. And it strips away all the non-essentials of life, the things that most people get distracted by and yes. are consumed yeah. by in our society mm-hmm. and probably in other societies as well, um, this cuts through all of that and mm-hmm. it realigns the priorities about what's truly, truly important. And uh, yeah, when time is short, what really matters? What really matters. And um, he talks beautifully about it, Ars Mariendi does, and they also talk about the, it, it, it draws a, a 
the really brings out how important living by authenticity and truthfulness, um, how much it means at this point in life. And it is true. I mean, you just don't waste time with the things that are just not, not that important anymore. And you come down to saying and feeling and relating in the ways that really mean something. Um, and he talks about it beautifully in this very short article. But one of the things he is talking about is this extraordinary reality that he's living in. He's living in it too. Yeah. And he we, and his wife. Yeah, with his wife. And uh, we live in it. We help other people in it. We help caregivers, first responders. Um, and we know what it takes. We know what it takes to not just live through it, but to grow through it and to make the changes necessary to continue to be resilient. Because you know what, this isn't just the kind of thing you do one time and it's over. This, if you really are challenged the right way, it's gonna bring out a sense of purpose and meaning to your life that you never would have known any other way. No matter how much school you went to, no matter how much training you had, this brings out something much more deeply. Um, so to us, that's a very important thing um, in, in um, keeping ourselves growing through all of this. And it comes through suffering and struggle and pain. But we also know that there's a, there's a very important part of all this, and that is self-care. Why is that important? Because if you don't take care of yourself in doing this, the chances of your burning out or losing your health or your life is pretty high, higher than most. So um, we know about self-care, and we certainly um, have a passion and a compassion um, to reach out to other caregivers, um, first responders, um, because we want them to make it. We want them to come out of this in good shape. We're also running up against some other things, though. And um, that's, what we, that's why Kelly's here today. And um, she doesn't want us to talk, put her on the spot immediately, because it makes her tense. And we haven't done that. No, in we're fact, not. we're heading hey, into yeah, the first break, and she hasn't had to say a word. Yeah, and for <laughs> us, this is just natural, but it's not natural for everybody. Not for her, no. No. But Kelly's here today, and I think one of the challenges that we see are um, some attitudes of caregivers and first responders. Yeah. Um, first responders are my favorite professionals to work with. I love them. I also see some real barriers to helping first responders. Let's come back to that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and Peter and I are joined by Kelly Barling, who's on our staff today, and we are returning to our topic of uh, some issues around the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. that our first responders, medical professional personnel, are facing in the stress and the service uh, at this time. We're also bringing in uh, from our last few uh, podcasts, this is 76, so from 75, mm -hmm. um, an article, a valuable article, uh, that talks about the value of preparing for end of life and 
the uh, the fact that we so often in our culture tend to try to avoid dealing with this, mm -hmm. uh, that this is an extraordinary reality. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And it's very much coming into the life now of everyone with the pandemic, but particularly first responders, medical professional personnel. And how can they approach this time? How can we approach this time as an opportunity to grow and learn and change in positive ways? And what's the alternative if we don't? Yeah. Well, you know, one of our, I said one of our favorites in our heart is with first responders. We see, and we've, we've mentioned this in other episodes, we see all caregivers having one, and this includes first responders, having one thing that runs through all of them, and that is they have a, a, a desire to give to others and help others. They're more empathic in the sense of they're, they're givers, they're caring people, and um, they're willing to go farther than most people in that. They have an energy to give, they have a desire to give. Um, they're moved, they will move to the front lines where many people will run away from the tra trauma. First responders of all kinds and caregivers includes doctors, nurses, uh, firefighters, uh, police, uh, you know, uh, people who specialize in trauma recovery. Well, one of the things that we see though is that it takes a lot of energy to do this work. And it also means that you're going to be more open and vulnerable in some ways to taking on the energy of these very, very difficult traumatic situations. And boy, some of them are just incredibly devastating and nightmarish. And we still are going to go through it and help people through it, but we're going to take on that energy ourselves. And one of the things that we have learned is that it's so important to know how to deal with ourselves because we are more res uh, um, what's the word? I was going to say responsive, definitely, but more vulnerable, more open to taking on the negativity of these very overwhelming situations. If we don't take care of ourselves, we're going to go down. Are we going to lose our health? We're going to lose so much um, that we value in our lives. I think when you, hear, you read the statistics of first responders, the profession of first responders, the divorce rate is 80%. The rate of suicide and cancer rates are so much higher. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to just stop for a moment because I would like people to hear, have a chance to hear why we wanted Kelly to be here today. Um, why don't and, you tell them? And so Kelly has, was at a different time in her career uh, an EMT. Yep. And some of the things that you're saying, you were just talking about some of the things that motivated her to want to do that job, mm -hmm. I know are true for you. Definitely. And so could you just say a little bit about what led you to, to, to enter that profession? Well, I think uh, we talked about it this morning, just uh, being a caring person. I want to go out there and help people. But I think I was a little naive <laughs> uh, at 19 to think, that's what I wanted as a profession, um, without really knowing what I'd encounter. Um, it's just a lot more than they teach you. <laughs> and to continue in that work and to continue to be healthy and do your best, uh, I think you guys have great tools 
on how to be resilient and keep going back. I remember this morning you were talking about being in training and that you wanted to help and make a difference. You wanted to care for people who were in traumatic, life-threatening situations. And then when you were in part of your training where you were actually going to go out on a call, you suddenly thought, what if I see something horrific? Right. I couldn't be sure that I could react or do the job I was trained to do if I saw something that I never saw before. Um, that was a fear of mine. But you are in teams most of the time out there. <laughs> Police, fire, EMTs, paramedics, military. You have another person. So relying on that other person is important to not feel like you have to do it all yourself or if you uh, and the situation that we're specifically talking about, if I froze, what then? Um, hopefully you have a partner uh, that can come alongside you, get you back to where you need to be so that you can do some good. Uh, but if the first responders aren't out there, that person doesn't have a chance. So we need our first responders. We need them to do the best job that they can. And... Um, Especially during this time, I just feel like it's extra important that we don't, that we know, let them know that we're thinking of them, that they're the ones out there right now. And you guys have some great tips on how to stay safe, how to stay resilient, how to support each other in the field. I think Kelly brings up a really important point, which is, is that. Uh, if she, if a first responder goes out on a call and they see something that is shocking, difficult, maybe even overwhelming, they can't let it interfere with them doing their job. Right. And they say, I've got to keep going. Well, they do. And they do. So what happens afterwards? Yeah, that's different. And um, I have enough first responders that are friends of mine, but some of my favorite people. And... Um, Pers on a personal level, they're, they're very vulnerable and open with me. On a professional level, they're not open to anybody but to each other. And they live a very sheltered, self-insulated kind of life um, and career. But there's so much trouble in it, and uh, I've seen why that happens. Um, I know they'll do, for the real serious case, they now do debriefings afterwards, which are really good. But to think that that would be enough is... It's pretty short-sighted. Um, we have something that we offer that's much more, that offers them a, a more ongoing resilience, a, a, a plan, a way of, of taking care of themselves. But it involves different priorities, it involves different values. We teach, we teach differently. Um, I've, I've been in certain situations for first responders, I know how much they feel. And they're very sensitive people, many of them, telling you the truth. Yeah. And I've had yes. to be, at times, the one to say, no, this is what you have to do right now. And I see the emotion takes over, and they'll listen. Um, now, I'm not saying I'm involved with them all the time, but I have had those experiences more than once. And I realize that sometimes it's just overwhelming for them, and they don't know what to do, even though they're well-equipped in training. The situations are that overpowering. And... Uh, and I, I look at it and I go, right now, this is what you have to do. Which for us is, we have some concepts about how to deal with difficult situations. 
Um, and I know when we deal with the military and the Navy SEALs and the Marines and whatever, we ran into the, we've run into the same thing. And people have asked us, well, if you open people up and get rid of all that, um, you know, pent up emotion, is it going to make them so vulnerable that they're not going to be able to come back at work and be effective? Well, the way we do it, the answer is no. We make sure that we close them up and they're ready to go to the front lines again. Um, and it keeps them, it doesn't mean their job or their, their, their work is, or, or their challenges are going to be easy. They could be the same or more, worse, but they're going to have a different outlook on it when they know how to take care of themselves better. Uh, instead of going drinking a lot, doing drugs, um, doing all kinds of self-destructive things afterwards, and that's common that to the first responder culture. Um, and this is when I say first responders, yes, that's a profession, but we we look at them as part of a much bigger profession, and that is the profession of the caregiver. Yeah. Same heart. But we've also seen the reactions of people after a while, because they seem to take on and uh, there's a cumulative effect of that energy of facing these difficult situations that doesn't go away. It builds up and time doesn't dissipate it. It builds up unless it gets looked at and dealt with. Well, we have a way of dealing with it and we have a way of diffusing it and getting rid of that particular burden of it. There is definitely a very deep and intense emotional impact. Uh, the energy that is accumulated begins to take a physical toll as well as emotional and spiritual. We have a way of diffusing that and um, helping people get back on their feet so they can go out there and get into what they need to do. What I'm, this is the thing. <laughs> now there's certain caregivers we know on our teams that are very open and receptive to our work. We are, we know many people are. But my favorite group that I like to reach are the true, quote unquote, true, really first responders. And they're not open to <laughs> too much. And um, what I see with them is they're not realizing how much they're taking on of this negativity and this energy and this trauma and how the, the effect that it has on their lives and on their personal lives. Or that they think there's no alternative to this, right. that they just have to keep going. I think that's the training in the culture is to just push ahead, like uh, do what you need to do, get back on the saddle, <laughs> just keep going. Um, there's not time to think about what you did. The trick is to not think, just do. Well, at the time, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That is the truth, at the time. But we're talking about um, knowing, and we call it pushing the off button at those times. or Pause. pushing the, Pause button. Uh, no, Peter's no, talking about the no, off for I'm now. I'm talking about off button. It's the off. When you're in the midst of it, you got to be... Just straight ahead, dealing That's with true. intense situations. That's that is what Kelly's yeah. saying. There is a time when that has to. It has happen. to be. You're in the middle it has of to. Yeah. incredible battle for life. But your stress level goes really high during that moment too. And absolutely. There has to be a discharge after. That's different. And when you push, we call it push and pause off button because at that time you can't be vulnerable. Right. You have got to deal with the situation in front of you. Period. And whatever is going on with you gets put aside because the need is so d demanding and, and in front of you. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely a reality. But uh, as our producer um, was talking about... Anticipated. Anticipated. This is important, though. Yeah. Um, we're talking about another part of this formula that we have. It's called pushing the pause button. And what that means, it's actually more effective in some ways because, than pushing just the off button because you're going to deal with the situation at hand that's right in front of you. But... It also means that you're aware that you're taking on the stresses and distresses of the situation and the energy and how it's affecting you. 
and that you're going to have to take a time separate from what you're doing, you know, when the demand of the situation is really high, to take care of yourself emotionally and physically. It's dramatically important. And your body is re re accumulating all of that energy, all of that tension. That's where people get really sick. Um, cancer rates are very high for uh, first response. In fact, a number of friends of mine have had cancer or fighting cancer. But what we see is that that's the part that they don't address. That's not addressed very easily. No, that is the thing that we would like to be able to communicate about, that it isn't just off or on, <clears throat> that there's such a thing as pause, and it's a healthy approach. Um, so let's come back to that. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 <coughs> FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and we are continuing to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly uh, for the people that are serving us, first responders, medical professionnel, who are taking on incredible levels of stress and distress as part of this time. How can we help them not uh, just fall under the load of stress and distress? What does it take? And, and we have something that we talked about before. Uh, we call it the pause button in terms of dealing with this difficult situation. And we were just, just, you know, we are talking about first responders and caregivers, but I think this principle now applies to everyone. Everyone. Yeah. I agree. Because we're in a crisis, a big one, probably the biggest one I've ever seen in my life. So the kind of things we're talking about um, are, what we, this is part of a person who's involved in an extraordinary reality like us and others, but everybody's being touched. And one of the things that happens is it's so darn confronted to us as workers because we're up against these situations that are overpowering. We don't always have the fix. Um, we got to ride this out and watch people die. And we have to see from terrible situations at times that are just terrifying and get them through it and get ourselves through it. So it's, yes, that, that's what we've accepted. And we know what, what goes along with that. But a lot of people now who don't know no. and have avoided it um, and been distracted, the whole, our whole society is set up with distractions, mm -hmm. now are facing some real serious stuff and they don't know how to cope no. and they don't know what to do um, and so you're seeing reactions that people are um, having out of these fears and anxieties being driven by panic and anxiety well they're driven by panic and anxiety and paranoia okay. but you got to ask yourself what's behind all that that makes it what's really at this all about? there are there are legitimate absolutely in the present but is that all of the picture the answer is no. It's a fear of death. It's a fear of dying. And um, all of us have it. But yet it's a, it's a condition of life. And the more you're involved with death and dying, it, it brings you to a very real, authentic 
honest place, truthful place, it brings you kind of closer. The whole, the whole thing about death becomes more personally close. So it's not this thing that you hold out here anymore. It's like, it's like seeing it as it is. It's upsetting. Emotionally, of course, grief and loss are very emotional, to say the least. But it's all part of life. And as we're part of all of what we're talking about today, we're facing our mortality. We're facing other people's mortality. And when you're a first responder or a caregiver, you're on the front lines of um, facing other people's mortality and your own. And then your own. Yeah. So it's very confrontive. It's also a time that brings out such a, a, a truthfulness and authenticity. It can. It can. It is an opportunity, a chance for that. But um, I think this morning you were talking about um, that because of this being confronted with these truths right. is an opportunity to change and see yourself differently and grow, but not everyone takes that okay. chance. Okay, and that's what Ke and Kelly was part of our, our staff meeting today. The freedom, the freedom. Um, and that's what we were talking about because we see that not all caregivers and first responders have a very open attitude about true authenticity, even though the situations are real. Their attitude is more a macho, you know, self-protective. We don't even want to go there. We got a job to do, and we don't want to talk about it. Well, the problem with that is it puts up barriers to reach them. It also puts up barriers for them to get through this and find ways to work it out so they can come back fresh and renewed and resilient. And we're seeing a uh, number of professions, particularly the first responder profession, man, they are insulated. And I've talked to other professionals who work on the front lines and who care about first, say the same thing. They're almost unreachable. And, and when I was, I was taking notes when we were talking this morning, and one of the things right about this that, that you were saying is this fear, concern, that if, as a first responder, you start to feel these things, you start to look at these things, you said, uh, I, I, won't be, I shouldn't cry or get emotional or I won't be able to go back to work. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to do the job. If I step aside and feel this, I'll just start unraveling and never come back together. The fear of losing control, cracking it open a little bit and losing control and not being able to, not believing that you'll be able to come through it. But first responders, you're strong. You can get through this. <laughs> you can get through acknowledging what you're seeing, what you're doing. Um, your stress has got to be greater now during COVID. I mean, it was high before, but now you're out there every day. So that's plenty high. First responders go to some pretty high anxiety situations. Right. Well, I think that one of the things that you're saying is their attitude. The attitude, though, and these are some of my friends that I care about, is the only people that could understand this are people like ourselves and no one else, mm -hmm. and they're mistaken. Um, although they go through this extraordinary reality, so do other people. And they do understand what it would take to stay resilient. Um, when, I, when I think about the statistics that first responders have and caregivers, we've seen, we've been called in as consultants for burned out first responders and caregivers, and we see the mess they are, the resentments, the bitter, they're angry, they're not good at what they do anymore, they're not reliable. Um, we've been called in and we take a look at it and go get them, we don't sit there and introspect, we go get them off the front line immediately and get somebody else in. 
and it's usually overdue. That's why we're called in. But what we're seeing is there are ways to prevent that. Right. We know what it takes, and yet to get through the barriers of this, um, we've dealt with the military, we dealt with the Navy SEALs, the Marines, we deal with first responders. Um, they they just really are self-insulated people, and they don't, and they can be very angry to keep you away. Um, I've had some experiences with Navy SEALs. I can't believe how challenging they can be, but they expect you to roll over, and I don't, and I stand right up to it and go look. You can say whatever you want, but here's the truth, and here's what we're going to deal with. And they can be pretty rough. They're they're warriors, and so first responders are warriors. Yeah, they absolutely are. And you know what? So are caregivers. In a softer version, they're they are warriors too. They're doing something no one else would want to do, and they're not highly paid. No. They should be. They deserve more. They don't get a lot of recognition. They get very little recognition, and yet the need is growing, and growing enormously, all the time. and especially now. Yeah. Um, and I, what I see is um, my challenge, and I'm not claiming success here in this way. No matter how much I know and how much I could help them, if a person doesn't want me to do it, or a group doesn't want our help or support, we haven't been able to make too much of an inroad. Um, and I find that I look at that and I'm always looking for ways to reach them and to go, look, there's more to this than just the debriefing. This, there's so much more that you can do for yourself to keep yourself well, to keep your family and relationships going well, um, to understand that this takes a toll on you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You can't avoid it, but a lot of them do. So then let's get back to what we offer to everyone now, but first responders for sure, and that is this idea of the pause button. It's not off, it's I'm pausing. And as Kelly said, as you said, it's time that whatever it is I was dealing with, at least for the moment now, I'm not there and I can take time to let down, let go of this stress. Um, this is almost a physical process, isn't it? It is a physical, a physical, yeah. emotional. It's a, it's a, on many levels, process. Mm -hmm. And um, it takes some familiarity uh, to be comfortable with it and to trust it, and yet this has been our work, and we've seen it go happen over and over, that when people take the time to let down, they're not going to fall apart. Nope. Something else happens. They're more resilient. But one of the things that most of us need is some mentoring in that. In the, when we do take time, we call it taking time, but we've developed all kinds of practices and skills to help people recover and deal with the emotional overload and the, the spiritual overload, the uh, physical overload, the emotional overload, and there are ways to deal with it for sure. And people do need support. There's nothing wrong with that. And being able, being willing to reach out and allow other people to help you would be taking down some of those barriers we're talking about. Um, you don't need just your peers to be the only people to do it, although that would be nice because we love to, we want to train peers in a way that they have a little bit more objectivity. Um, to just do a peer group kind of thing, sometimes is, I find them, they need some leadership. They need somebody who's got more skill and ability to do that and facilitate it. But there is a certain empathy for each other, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, they've all been through the same circumstances. We do appreciate that. But the skill level, the help, is really important. Um, 
I could share a story now if I want, if I want to take time for it. And it was when uh, mm -hmm. we went to a conference called Brain at War a number of years ago. There's a Navy SEAL conference. Uh, I'm thinking of the Brain at War conference VA. in San Francisco. Where was it? It was the VA at the Marines. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. And sorry. James Hatch, who was a Steve, Navy, SEAL. Navy SEAL. Chief. Uh, he could not, at the time of the conference, he didn't reveal the purpose of the mission he was on, but it turned out he was part of a mission to rescue Bowie Bergdahl. Yeah. He was injured and was traumatized as part of that operation. Who was he rescuing? Bowie Bergdahl, the man who walked away. Oh, yeah. In Afghanistan. Oh, he, he walked off base and they went out to try to find him. Oh, I didn't go to that conference. You and Steve did. Steve and I were there. Oh, yeah. And he went through all sorts of emotional, physical, personal hell trying to recover from that experience. And uh, went through everything that the VA, that the, the Department of Defense had to offer. And the turning point for him, and he talked about this so movingly, was when he went to a program that was actually administered by civilians. And he thought, this is a joke. No one here is ever going to understand me. They're not going to be able to help me. But I've tried everything else, and I have got to be here. And to his great surprise and great value, he found that they did know even though they hadn't been through anything similar to what he went through, they did know what it felt like to be traumatized to that level, and he was able to open himself up and get through and start to recover. And he came back and he talked very movingly about it. But this is what we were just talking about, and we have to take a break, but this is what we're talking about, about the challenge of stepping outside your culture when you're someone like a SEAL, when you're someone like an EMT, when you're someone like... Uh, even maybe a doctor or a nurse, how difficult it is to step outside your culture and take a chance that someone else could be of help. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and I'm joined by Peter, as usual, and Kelly Barling on our staff. Mm -hmm. We're heading into the last segment today, and we're going to continue to talk about COVID-19 pandemic and some of the issues surrounding this extraordinary reality and how it's affecting everyone, but also particularly some of the first responders serving this time. What you're saying is really interesting. I'm listening carefully because I'm always part of everything, but this was one thing I wasn't part of. And I remember you came back with some of the team and they told me it was wonderful, very moving. And obviously he was a pretty macho dude himself, huh? Extremely. And yet he was very vulnerable and open about what it took for him to recover. He, had, he was up telling us about this and he had opened himself up in the hope that some of the other veterans and personnel in the, off, in the audience would benefit. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, one of the things, uh, we went to a, another military conference and they talked about they're going to re-educate on an institutional level, all the military, how important it is to deal with 
PTS and the effects of it, and we call them post-traumatic stress injuries. But, and I know that they meant well, and they really want to do it on a grand scale. And yet we deal with it on a more frontline basis. And it's almost that education isn't reaching people because the attitude underneath doesn't seem to catch up with, well, this is what you're going to do in a very formulated, institutionalized way. It's the underlying attitudes that really get in the way. And uh, we run into it, we see what they are, and we see many times that they're a barrier for people to get back on their feet. But they're so, you know, here's the thing. A lot of these folks that seem so strong, and, and women and men that are so macho, and underneath, they're really scared. And they've accumulated a lot of impact of those traumas. And they're afraid that, they're afraid to even touch it. Because of, like, as Kelly said, they're afraid they won't be able to pull it back together. Just and they'll be pushing it down, pushing it down so long that once you crack it open, they're afraid of what'll happen. Um, but that is not a weakness. That's a strength. It's a strength. That will keep you resilient. You can do a better job. Absolutely. But that's one of the secrets that people aren't hearing you say. They don't which want is, to hear it's it. not a weakness. It's not a weakness, and it has to come from people. You know, it's funny because I'm one. I'm one of those tough guy types. They won't even listen to me, and they know me. Yeah. So I, I see it's just a, it's like a professional kind of value or something. But the real strong people that I've known are the ones that have the strength to overcome their fear mm. and do what it takes to find their resilience again and find some kind of well-being and health in so many different ways that they knew they didn't have anymore. It takes courage. Yeah. I know that when I was really early on in my career, and I was confronted with this. I was one of those people who go, I want nothing to do with this. Interestingly, I, I changed my whole PhD later and just specialized in it because I saw how impactful and effective it is. I looked on most people in psychology as really wimpy from the world I came from. But you know what? I took a look at what some of the things that were going on with the, the, dealing with the body and stress and trauma. And when I, when I really took a look at it, I knew that I needed it. Something in me knew that was right for me, but I didn't want to tell anybody. Right. And later on, I certainly knew that I was getting very destructive. Didn't want to be, but it was just overtaking me. And the, the kind of help I received uh, really made me decide to change my whole educational uh, approach. And I've built a whole career around it, and I've gone beyond psychotherapy. And I feel that does have a stigma, because mm -hmm. it has to do with mental illness. And I don't look at post-traumatic stress as an Ill, a, a disorder. I look at it as an injury. And that's different. So I'm really careful these days, especially, I think we learned this dealing with Navy SEALs. It was from a conference. And I looked at that and I go, you know what, they're right. Yeah. I don't want to approach this clinically anymore. And then after being a caregiver myself now, in my personal, that's, that's just out the window. It doesn't mean that I don't have the skills or the part of my arsenal, but the truth of the matter is being real and being genuine and truthful and caring and loving and connected with my fellow man and caring about, that's much more important. And in doing that, even though I'm going to feel the pain, I'm also going to feel more fulfilled and purposeful. And that's kind of what we're asking people to begin to open up to. You want to find what your really, what your purpose is in life is. What's the truth about who you are? You know, I, I have to say, I've dealt with trauma recovery for a long, for a long time, but until I faced imminent death, of loved ones, 
and been there and stay with them and watch over them and care for them as well as my work, well, I think the truth of it didn't really get into me enough. And then it just stripped away so many of these things that I didn't need that got in the way. And I realized that, uh, yes, I do get emotional, and yes, I do feel fear, and yet all of those things. And I know that I'm going to need to take some time, recalling it, to deal with my emotional overload. And it, start, it takes a toll on me physically. And if I don't, I'm going to be good to anybody, including myself or my loved ones, right. or the people I'm responsible to. But you know what? That's the way I live, and that's the way our teams live and work. But to get that across to the people I really care about as professions and to see what they're going through and to know they don't, they've got to open up. Mm -hmm. They've got to have a way to stay resilient. Their fear is they're not going to be able to pull themselves together. Well, here's the truth. They're a they become a liability with the, pe with the stress level, cumulative stress level to themselves and to others and they can become or they burn out and they, then they don't help anybody that's right and they become unreliable they become difficult to deal with um, they're not doing a good job anymore and you can't count on them so they've lost the resilience we're, we're talking about we'll do just the opposite they'll be able to come back not burdened and clear about what their challenges are and to deal with it for a while. A new lease on your profession to do a better job, to be much better, much better helper, to teach others. Much better. Um, By example. You come back with all that instead of just another day trying to help one person. You oh. can do so much more. It, it, when I, you I, that, bring that stress level down a little bit, which is what you're discussing today is self-care, how to bring that stress level down to do a better job on the front lines because we don't want you to burn out. We don't. <laughs> we and this, okay, so we're talking about the, the caregiver first responders. This applies to everyone that today. I'm yeah. seeing people just, their reactions tell me they're so stressed mm -hmm. and so frightened that they're making themselves sick. They're very distrustful and wary of others. Instead of caring for their fellow man and taking care of themselves, they're not. I hope that changes soon. But honestly, we've seen people make themselves very sick, not with the virus, but with the fears and the paranoia. Other mm -hmm. issues come up. Absolutely. And yeah. we've dealt with people for a long time that have histories of trauma. Yeah. So this particular crisis triggers that, brings it all back. So all of that emotion that's into their nervous system and into their being overpowers the, the normal fears, preventative fears that are make, make sense. Right. And they're not functioning that way. They're paranoid, they're hysterical, they're anxious, they're terrified they're going to die, they're not going to make it, their loved ones are going to die and not going to make it. And they get sick, really sick. So we've seen this a number of times and we're go we know that what we're talking about can alleviate so much of that. We've also found out one other thing. You can't just go through the motions and kid yourself and try to kid us. Because in the end, you want to defeat us, you're going to defeat yourself. Now, we have people that have done exactly. that, where they'll go through the motions, they'll do everything almost like militaristically, yeah. like training, they go down like a stone. Yeah. This is where we're talking about an authentic vulnerability in humanity that you've got to be willing to go to. If you do that, that's where the healing, I've seen it enough times, I've experienced it enough times, that's where it really occurs. But you are going to feel your pain, you are going to feel what's there, you're not going to be numbed out. But it's worth it because when you come out the other side, you really can go back 
and has such a, a better outlook and, and be more honest and truthful and genuine, um, not just going through the motions or going through the formulas of being a good person, a big good performer. And that doesn't work. So what, we've, what we're talking about today is very close to our hearts. I think it's also close to Kelly's, I think it's close to your experience. I think you said as a 19-year-old, you know, this was pretty yeah, overwhelming. kid. Yeah. And, and, and I think you found more, more ability in yourself and uh, to, because you're a caregiver now. I don't know right. if we mentioned that today. So this is something you have definitely not run away from. And you're a different person now. Yeah. So what... How would you add your side of some of this? Mm. That's hard to put into words. Right? Yeah, you should just say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I really, I don't have an answer. Have you? Do you feel like it's you just are... the stick-to-itiveness, which is in all first responder and caregivers? I think you you stick with it. You see your job through but I've also been open to growing through my job um, I've never thought of myself as oh I I studied that now I know it there's always room for learning um, you can be taught by your co-workers by people that you meet by new positions like Peter and Jenny uh, it just gives you a different perspective uh, and what do I want out of it? I just want to do the best that I can without burning out, without feeling resentful, without having negative thoughts cloud my being. I just think that what you guys are talking about can refresh those on the front lines, give them a new perspective on what they do, mm -hmm. uh, more relaxed at doing what they do because they have the confidence that they can get through some of the worst things possible. Well, you know, one of the things, I remember, Kelly's been with us a long time, and I want to say this, that she, I've watched her go through a lot of changes. I mean, she can't tell she was a cancer survivor. Yes. Just coming out of... Just, yep, completely. One treatment. year after Right, treatment. remember that? Yep. that was, how many years ago was that? Ten years? Yeah. And she was broken. She was really just trying to get back on her feet. Now, no one could have known what we have in her today. Yeah. She's not just a caregiver, but she's an essential part of our institute. She is essential. She, she can handle things. She's very resourceful and practical and effective. So one of the things that I see, and yes, she has had problems with resentment. I can attest to that um, as her boss. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm going to say that we don't have too much time, so well, don't go into that. I want to say this. Okay. That Kelly's come through it, and she's got a real resilience that other people don't. I've watched what she's had to work herself through. Yes. And Kelly does. And she's, she's an essential part of everything we do, and she's very effective. I would add that I, I see you fulfilled by what you do. Definitely. In a way that you couldn't be there if you hadn't been willing to I, go through. If I ignored everything I went through, I wouldn't be who I am. You have to look at it. You have to look at what you've gone through. You have to look at the tough stuff. But you were tough going through the tough stuff. You can be tough coming out of it. You can be even stronger and... More resilient. Teach others how to be resilient. By example. By example, yeah. which gives you a new lease on what you do. A purpose. A different way to do what you do. That's right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we are out of time. That's okay. Go ahead. I think what Kelly said is a good way to I think close. so, too. So I will 
speed my way through, hopefully, that the Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 charity that relies entirely on donations, and we hope that you'll consider donating at sctraumatreatment.org or through our GoFundMe campaign. We have established that as well. Uh, please visit our website to hear our podcasts or at the survivor's guide to life.com. We're also on YouTube on video. Uh, please like us, share us, uh, call us. If you have a question, we'd love to get your feedback. Jenny at bernsteininstitute.com 707-781-3335. Uh, we're on all the social media channels. Please find us and let us know what you think. Thank you. Thank you.